Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, you, right there, you, I see you, are listening to a Rattlegen Broadcasting premiere podcast, Damn You Hollywood, and I'm your host, the mandated reporter, and frankly, I'm mortified, Mr. Mark Rattlegen, and hey, our Pride Month celebration is continuing here on the Rattlegen Broadcasting Network. So this is a very special edition of Damn You Hollywood. We are once again down one Robert Winfrey, but stepping into mm-hmm. his place is the OG himself. Yeah, before Robert Winfrey, before Jesse Starcher, before Jason Teasley, but don't tell Jason because he'll get offended. Before, before Ronnie Adams of the Screaming Boy podcast, before Alexis Nexus, before all of them, there was one man. <laughs> who took me by the hand and said, let's go on this film journey together as we went on the long road to ruin. And that man is Sean Comer. You're not. How do you do, Sean? Uh, you can't see it beneath the beard, but I swear I'm blushing like hell. <laughs> why Why in the world would Jason be offended? I can't help when I came along and kind of oh, no, the, that's, that's the a running guy. of podcasters. That's, that's a running guy. Oh, is it? I, oh um, okay. Yeah, okay. yeah. I, I belong to Jason, so he thinks. So he doesn't like to share me. Ah, okay. <laughs> yeah, I was, I was gonna say, um, isn't this isn't this normally kind of Alexis's seat? Oh, it's normal. Well, it's normally Robert's seat. Um, you know, it, Robert oh, is the fair, main guy, fair. and then yeah. and then uh, and then Alexis, Dave, Jason, uh, they've all kind of t- took turns in and out of the uh, the thing. But um, okay. in any case, so it is Pride Month, and I asked Sean as we. We talked about last week with our triple feature for uh, Basic Instinct, uh, but I'm a cheerleader, and what was the other one? Oh, Stonewall. Stonewall. Um, which I, which I have like been talking about nonstop. Like I brought that up in other podcasts. <laughs> <laughs> really, <laughs> our conversation. Yeah, um, we decided we were going to tackle a whole bunch of Pride Month, a, a whole bunch of LGBTQ uh, queer cinema movies for the month of June. This is show two mm. of three. And it's mm. Damn You Hollywood and not a triple feature because we're doing two new movies. The first is uh, Fire Island, which is currently mm. on Hulu. It came out June 3rd, and mm. it is directed by Andrew Ahn, screenplay by Joel Kim Booster, both of, both of which star in the movie. And it is an adaptation of Pride and Prejudice by Jane Austen. So, Sean, uh, real quick, and then we'll jump into the movie itself. When I pitched this to you, did you have any idea what it was, what you were getting yourself into? Did you have any interest in in watching it before I said, hey, I want to review this, or we're going to talk about it anyway? Well, I mean, I know what Fire Island is. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, I I had an inclination that it was probably going to be uh, skewing uh, skewing not straight. So... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Fire I, Island, I, the movie I, I, about I, I, volcanoes. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I had a feeling it was kind of going to be slightly within the wheelhouse of 
queer cinema that I've been wanting to dip my toes more into. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't I didn't know it was going to be a romantic comedy until I kind of read the kind of read the description and really sank my teeth into it. And it can wasn't I, can until... I tell you all, I'm more intimidated by you and I reviewing a romantic comedy than I am by the queer cinema part of it. Like, oh, just, my God. For the, yeah. Can we just talk about that for a second? How like the length and breadth of everything we've done <laughs> on this network for the, the past decade has been firmly entrenched in nerd culture or at the very mm-hmm. least in the action adventure sci-fi genre. And I'm really, really, really trying to stretch and branch out and try new things. So like, mm-hmm. like the romantic comedy one is nothing is something that Robert and I never talked about because uh, we hate them. <laughs> so and, yeah, I, I was gonna say this is because we never got around to the Bridget Jones's Diary trilogy, isn't it? <laughs> um, <laughs> it's it's just a genre that he and I don't pay any attention to. Actually, so real quick, like, um, so me trying to be an ascendant male and a better partner to Melissa and all around mm-hmm. improve myself as a human being. I uh, mm-hmm. I hung out with her the other day, and I was like we'll do whatever it is you want. And I, um, I said, you can go was this ahead and pick? pick and pick the movie. Uh, we'll just watch whatever you want to. And, um, and, she, <laughs> and she picked a romantic comedy. Um, and we ended up watching, I think it was called the matching game. Have you heard this of this? This is revenge for the this is revenge for the fact I hate the Big Bang Theory, isn't it? <laughs> uh, maybe. Um, Devious so. Minx. She waited that many years for the get back. So yeah, long story short, like I was watching the matching game with her, and I was like, you know, I don't know why, like, I don't review more of this sort of thing. People might want to hear what I because like I've done one. I did vacation friends with ronnie adams a little ways back but what was the connection there the connection was john cena so yeah i i was like you know what maybe i should start doing more when when it when there's a reason to to be open to more genres like the romantic comedy genre with people that are well i can't do them with robert winfrey he'll walk into traffic but like other people might want to talk about this stuff with me so uh so back to fire island yeah sure um Man, I didn't. I didn't find out until much later that this rose from the ashes of Quibi. Oh, I didn't know that. Wait, what do you mean? This shit was supposed to be a Quibi series. Was it really? And then, okay. and, and then Quibi went Quibi. <laughs> Quibi, and, uh, Quibi tapped out. Yeah, it was supposed to be a series, and then Fox Searchlight picked it up and decided instead to repurpose the whole concept into a movie. So, I mean, a little backwards of the way things of the way things tend to go. I, I'm so used to seeing lately, especially within about the last, um, I must be generous to say, the last ten years mm-hmm. um, between Scream and Teen Wolf are the first two that comes that comes to mind. Go back even further, and the Joss Whedon, Marty Noxon helmed. Buffy the Vampire Slayer that we got was actually Joss Whedon's original original vision for the film that mm-hmm. got shit canned in favor of that uh, 
Christy Swanson, Paul Rubens, um, Donald Sutherland, and Luke Perry camp. Right. Um, but I don't know. It's um, it's a it's a little stranger for me to think of ideas for full fledged episodic series that instead became movies. I, I know somebody out there is all is already probably screaming fire, screaming serenity at the top of their at the top of their lungs at the screen. But mm. you know, keep in mind that was a bit of a special case. That was that that was just kind of the series finale that we ultimately never got and it was it was kind of a consolation prize to joss and the crew for kind of getting their ass handed to them a little bit prematurely so um with the when we do damn new hollywood and we do these streaming uh shows we cut the money out because there is no money so we just we review mm-hmm. the movie, do the craft, and then we do Rotten Tomatoes, and then we go back and we do it again. So that's what we're going to do tonight for those of you maybe turning in for the first time. All right. So Fire Island. Um, there's <laughs> there's no plot synopsis here. This is a group of friends embark on a week long vacation to Fire Island, the famous gay village off the south shore of Long Island. Um, again, based on Pride and Prejudice, so we can just kind of get into this. But I'll, I'll, real quick, fifty words or less. Basically, what happens is we have this one character. Um, who is uh howie who's played by bowen yang and uh and he's based on jane bennett okay and he's struggling with uh struggling with his looks he's struggling with how he feels and he's like he needs to get laid and this brings on noah who's his best friend um and noah is just muscly and ripped and you know as he says he's awesome and he's just like, you need to get laid. And he was like, you're right, I do. And so they go to Fire Island with a bunch of other friends. They are hosted by Margaret Cho, who I who and I and I I say this, and I'm usually saying it tongue in cheek, but let me tell you how I think this is Margaret Cho's best work. Like I've seen a lot of her stand up. I know she's not a lot of people's favorites for a variety of reasons, but I've always yeah. enjoyed Margaret Cho. Um, I, I remember her line about chinos, and she was like, I don't know if you're racist or very fashionable, which always that line always cracked me up. Um, but I've, I haven't loved Margaret Cho in a lot of, uh, stuff outside of her comedy. I think she's amazing in this. Just wanted to put that out there. In any case, she's, uh, so she's their like lesbian friend who owns the house on Fire Island. But what, you know, why, why is this day different from any other? Because on this day, she tells them this is the last year I can host you at Fire Island. I'm out of money and I got to sell the house. Um, the other side of this is a group of rich, uh, cut up wonderful gay fellas one of which howie uh starts to form a relationship with but there's some gatekeeping going on by one of those people and he um oh gosh what's his name um he you know he's like hey he's trying to be protective of his friend charlie and there's it's just a lot of that for the next 90 minutes or so it's will howie and charlie get together or won't they and what's going on with noah and noah and howie's relationship kind of you know going up and down and that's pretty much and at the end of it spoilers howie and charlie do get together and everyone loves them for it and kind of pushing them together and there's a big romantic thing and uh that's how the movie ends so mm-hmm. um let me just right up front and then i'll throw it to you sean i like to enjoy the movie it's not something like i said i'm not a big romantic comedy person um mm-hmm. but 
the thing I liked most about this movie is the normalization of queer culture. Yeah. In that. Yes. Good. You know where I'm going with this. In that. Oh, sure. Sure. The queer culture um, tends to be fetishized. It tends to be um, mystified in a lot of ways. It's like, it's like, it's like people just, the gay is their entire identity in the eyes of many. And, and it's like, no, 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 no. They're people. They just happen to like same sex or whatever. And it's like the fact that they might have the exact same relationship issues we all have, you know, have the exact same mm -hmm. insecurities that we all have, you know, the gatekeeping that tends to go on, you know, like you're not good enough. Oh, yeah. All oh, of yeah. the same things we experience as human people in our vast array of relationships as we walk this mortal coil, the LGBTQ community has too, but because of some sort of closeted thinking um the prejudices there tends to be like no your whole personality begins and ends with your sexuality and what fire island does is it says here is a window that focuses on gay men um in this very particular place it's a, it, i like the fact that it adapted jane austen's pride pride and prejudice because it's a very familiar story that everyone can identify with and says mm -hmm. okay here is our framework. It's all easily, readily identifiable and relatable. Now watch these people interact in that that are gay that you think that's all they are. But no, they're actually just human beings. And that's mm -hmm. the best thing about this movie. Your thoughts? Well, my thoughts are that so often for decades on end and to a thankfully now lesser but still present extent today your queer characters in any given movie often including and sometimes especially romantic comedies um we're either tokens fetishes or antagonists very little in between sometimes combinations of those but that's kind of what we get relegated to mm -hmm. this this did not feel to me like straight people making a movie about queer relationships. Hi, Kevin right. Smith. Yeah. This did, this did not feel to me like a queer person making a movie about queer relationships, but clearly tiptoeing around and very carefully scrubbing down and sanitizing everything. That's actually so really as to good also point. suck in, suck in the straight folks. Hi, Holland. <laughs> um, pog. um this is by queer people for queer people and unapologetically so and you can see that in that yes you absolutely have characters that embody stereotypes but that is not what they're reduced to it leans into not so much stereotypes in terms of fitting a whole bunch of expected stock earmarks as this is a gay writer saying these are the queers in your neighborhood um <laughs> and who are the queers and, in your neighborhood yeah in your neighborhood and managing and managing to deftly write them that way so that that right. re relatability comes out in a way that you can have 
that, you know, gay people in particular can have a good chuckle about, but also in ways that make sure not to kind of chuck their humanity Mm -hmm. on that pyre at the same time. It doesn't lean too heavily into politics and heavy handedness, I think at any one point, but there definitely is an underpinning of acknowledging that among the LGBTQ community, yeah, you will find a lot of, a lot of crabs in a bucket, tons Mm -hmm. of gatekeeping, um, you know, sometimes thin, sometimes sharply defined lines of queerness. There is absolutely classism. There's hypocrisy. Um, there is uh, there is absolutely a very particularly insidious degree of sexual predation. Right. Um, a kind that a kind that is that is very very distinct um from what you would find among um heterosexual predation predation um mm. it it takes on a a very specific color that often preys hard hard on vulnerability um, and of and again, a very specific, hard to describe to a straight person um, vulnerability, or at least to do so in brief. But at the same time, the genius of it is that despite all this, it still manages to be number one, hilarious, almost all the way through. Number two, it's heartfelt, but number three, it's something that I never felt I had to think particularly hard about in order to appreciate it. And I know that we often go in to a lot of super thoughtful films. It's not that I don't appreciate those, but sometimes I think, especially during pride month, it's good to have those moments where you let go of that for just a little bit and well, you just focus on a movie that represents us and our relationships as we see them and does so so strictly and uncompromisingly. Yeah, I want to reiterate something I said last week. That was why I tackled the films that I did for Black History Month. Because, it, like, like, there's no... What do you think? Gay people don't want to just watch a stupid rom-com? You know? <laughs> like, or... Yeah. or, or you know, or just any kind of silly movie, silly comedy, silly science fiction movie, anything like that. I think treating the LGBTQ community like they're like they don't have the same array of emotions and interactions as the rest of the world is obviously ridiculous. Um, but more than that, like I said, like the thing about this movie Fire Island is that it it absolutely fills that need of wanting to see yourself on screen and reflect back your struggles but also like and i go back to watching the matching game with melissa like sometimes like not we do a fair amount of criticism film criticism analyzation that sort of thing here which is what i like but not you know as i tell robert winfrey on almost a weekly basis 90 percent of the people watching movies aren't thinking that hard about this stuff 
It's something they put on in the background while they're working at home or they put on at night mm-hmm. before they go to bed or something, you know, in the background while they're making out, you know, yeah, Netflix and chill. Um, can I tell you, I was, uh, can I tell you, I had, a, I had a conversation with somebody recently and I was, you know, and I, and I talked about, um, they had not seen a lot of what we would consider to be the classics, especially of the eighties. And like, I hadn't seen this and I haven't seen this. And I'm like, I'm going to need to fix all of this for you and make you sit down and watch all of these movies. And the reaction I got was, yeah, man, Netflix and chill. And I'm like, no, 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 leave the fucking chill part out of this. Okay. I need you to pay attention. Don't be a quiz at the end. God damn, pal. I'm tired of it. (laughs) Um, so, like I said, Fire Island is not particularly deep, but just because something is not yeah. deep, or um, you know, or I, I think, I think even the shallow movies deserve criticism. Mm-hmm. I think even the shallow movies deserve, deserve discussion. Like I was willing to have the discussion about the matching game um, because I think like things like craft are important, even in a silly movie. You know, like I said, Lonnie and I spent a good 20 minutes to a half an hour talking about vacation, friends. And that's the dumbest movie I've ever seen. I mean, you know, John <laughs> Cena's great, but he's just like dumb as a rock, baby. Um, I don't have a tremendous more to say about this. I did want to bring up my favorite character in this is uh, the guy that plays Will. Um, and Will is based on Fitzwilliam Darcy. Yes. On Rickamora. Look, the guy playing Noah, um, Joel Kim Booster, who again wrote the movie, is absolutely fantastic in this. And if like you know, if I could be a gay guy, I'd want to be him, if nothing else, for his body. But like, he's just—he really was like awesome. And I like the arc that he goes on. I'm gonna come back to the person I started to talk about in a second, but I, let me put this out there. He has mm-hmm. a very nice arc in this movie—a very well told, very you know, circular arc of feeling like he has a handle on all these aspects of his life. And over the course of this week that they spent on Fire Island, when everything kind of unravels for him, he, uh, you know, he starts to question, maybe I need to change my thinking about some things. Great. When you, when you say Wonderful. him, you mean, do you mean Noah? Yes. Yes. Okay. By the end of the movie, Noah, Noah is starting to reconsider some of his positions on things and thinking like, well, I don't know everything. And I, you know, and, and I, and I don't, yeah listen as good as I should, which is what causes the falling out with Howie. But, um, so I love the Noah character in this. Uh, but my favorite character more so is Will. First of all, Conrad R- Ricamora, what a voice on him. Like, I want to look at his IMDb to see if he's gotten a lot of voice work. But, like, he opened up his mouth and I was like, you sound dreamy. Holy cow, where has that voice been all my life? My goodness. He's like, that voice in Chris Hemsworth's body. Mwah. Uh, so fantastic uh he's got like this really like like deep almost like gravelly voice it's incredible um and so like his dialogue readings with with noah are some of like the best stuff in the movie and it's so funny because he's presented as a, a villain i think he's a very well well written character he's presented as somewhat a villain in the movie like he's the one gatekeeping for charlie and then over the course of the movie you find out spoilers that it's already because a friend of his was burned once. There's been people who've taken advantage and mm-hmm. they don't know Noah and Howie and their friends from a hole in the wall. And sure, mm-hmm. like like any sane person, your life experience will dictate your prejudgment. And you're, you're you know, talking about the you're talking about the whole Dex arc, right? 
Yeah, I'm talking about a couple of different things. You know, the, the, okay. the initial, okay. like, these people are trash. We shouldn't have them in the house stuff. You know, that initial conversation between yeah. Will and um, and Charlie that Noah overhears. But then later on, oh, yes, okay. when, the deck, okay. when the deck stuff comes up, you know, he's like, stay away from him because he's done some some terrible trashy things. And, of course, there's a really great scene. And I'll shut up and let you talk for a little bit. There's a really great scene um, where they confront Dex poolside, and mm-hmm. Will kind of goes into this legalese moment, and I and I was very impressed with the line delivery, the uh, the confidence of it all, and then at the end of it, he was like, "Yeah, I was making half of that shit up," and I laughed hard at that. Like, <laughs> I, it, it was really a really amusing moment. But yeah, I I whenever he was on screen, like you know, sometimes you watch a movie and like there'll be like a subplot you're not particularly interested in. Like I was at Top Gun today and. Every time I was like my son, they weren't flying jets. I didn't care. You know, anytime, anytime Maverick and Penny were on screen, I'm like, we're going to fly a plane here or what? Um, yeah. You know, but whenever, whenever Conrad and Noah were on screen, I was really into the movie, really keyed in. So um, my recommendation, people should watch it. It's, it's, it's a slight yes. movie. It's a light movie, mm-hmm. but it's, and, mm-hmm. and it doesn't have to be like, oh, it's Pride Month. You should watch it. It's just a good movie. It's, it's you know, not, a, not the worst way to spend 90 minutes. And again, Margaret Cho is great. I'll give you the final word and then we'll go into uh we'll go into the critical review. I'll tell you, uh Hulu is the streaming provider that I think has most emphatically flung Netflix from that throne of streaming platforms that are really committed to fresh, daring, out of the box content. Have you seen that Fresh? Does- I've I've not. I should I give it a try? Huh? I said, should I give it a try? Oh my god! Jason and I reviewed that. Fresh is amazing. It's one of the best movies of this year. Okay. Okay. So you you brought up Um, you brought up like like Focus Feature and like Fox Searchlight and Hulu and Hulu being the sort of playground of offbeat cinema. Which mm. that's why I mentioned Fresh because as far as offbeat cinema goes, Fresh is the best thing I've watched this year so far. Absolutely, go watch. Fresh yeah, well, on well, 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 yeah. But what I was getting at is mm. Netflix, of course, completely turned a full one eighty on any mm. commitment that they've that they've shown in the past to inclusiveness and di- and diversity. I fucking welcome your comments if you'd like to argue a argue otherwise you know if you want to chip away at that everest of evidence against your point by all means go right the fuck ahead um but uh, there's that there's the fact that what they do put out now i think leans a little more into star power mm-hmm. and big budget adaptations red I think notice just kind of, um God, Red Notice, uh, whatever the name of the fucking Batista movie was. Um, oh, um, Army they, of the Dead. Yeah, uh, didn't they? Did they do a movie with Rock too? Well, Rock, the Rock was with, in Red Notice. Oh, he was in Red Notice. Okay. Um, oh, that. Yeah, you're right. I'm sorry. Um, you know, Will Smith, uh, shit like that. Oh, we're we're gonna give David Letterman his own his own talk show uh hey we're going to we're going to adapt 57 different anime and a half dozen video game franchises 
yeah. shit that they think is just going to sell itself and people are going to just keep tuning in whether it's any good or not because because fuck it it's castlevania fuck it it's resident evil fuck it it's cowboy bebop yeah, yeah. well guess how half of those panned out um and meanwhile hulu is over here and you know amazon prime is pretty hot on their heels as is hbo max uh giving people really fresh stuff where they're just kind of taking hands off and telling these creators hey um, do what you do we're, we're, you know we're just gonna we're just gonna let you do your thing and just let the chips fall well, follow the main that like the last steven soderbergh movie was on hbo max just as an example like a lot of directors are finding the the, the creative freedom to work mm -hmm. with one of these streaming services and put their stuff there as opposed to putting it in the theaters. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, you know, the, the, the two movies we're looking at today, Margaret Cho and Regina Hall are probably the two biggest stars in either, in either movie, the two biggest name draws. And I, I'll tell you, I love and respect the hell out of Margaret Cho, but I can't remember the last time I ever looked at something and went, nope, stop. That's what we're watching. Margaret's in it. <laughs> I have, to, I have fact, to see the latest Margaret Cho jam. Um, but the fact is, I mean, this is just so damn good from start, from start to finish because it is what it is without any apologies. It does everything that, it set out to do and if anything it was better than i expected it to be i enjoyed it more than i thought it would so much so that to be honest i'm at a loss to really say anything patently negative um i'm gonna take a crack it. at it but I, i'm gonna i'm gonna take a crack Go at it, but it in the form of a question i want to i want to get your opinion on this because i don't know if i'm really the, the right person to it was I, I made an observation sure. as I was watching it and I and it got my brain thinking, but it was more of a I want to know what other people think. So sure. Noah's great. And Noah is, mm -hmm. is just a dude. He happens to be gay. Howie's great. He's a mm -hmm. dude. He happens to be gay. Um, mm -hmm. Will, Charlie, they're great. These all look like perfectly normal, everyday human beings, just doing mm -hmm. the thing, living in the world. But there are mm -hmm. some like over-the-top flamboyant gay characters in this. And I was mm -hmm. curious, I was curious to see what you thought about that. Like the flamboyancy that does exist in, in gay culture um, mm -hmm. needs obviously proper representation. Do you, mm -hmm. and this was written by a gay person, so I can't imagine there was a mm -hmm. problem with it, but it did get me wondering, do people see that and go, could we, <laughs> less of that, more of the normal stuff or... Like no 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 no, Re watch the whole thing. Or did they do did they do a good job with the characterization of the more flamboyant characters? I thought it was absolutely well balanced, especially okay. considering that considering that it's against the backdrop of Fire Island. Yeah, one of the one of the settings where a gay man can truly cut loose. And leave the chains, leave the inhibitions, leave leave the masks, and any kind of compulsion to water themselves to water themselves down just 
a whole world away. Mm. Um, and and again, it it was it felt completely different from a movie where you've got a whole big old straight world, and somehow the only the only gay people you see are just flaming so hard they're burning up the screen or like 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 or or they're or they're too conservative because you know because yeah. you you want you want the mixed general audience and you don't want to put people off by putting somebody who's too gay i guess you know which is something i talked about with jason too where you know, you can't you can't have character. You know, in certain aspects of entertainment, you can't have characters that are too gay, too black, too strong, too whatever. There's always uh, there's always something. Yep, we lost Sean momentarily. All right there, you go. Hey, how are you? I have no idea what happened. Okay, so I lost you at the words, or they're too conservative. Yeah, what I was saying is sometimes in a in a desperate attempt to reach the general audience and they don't want to put people off they really tone down the gay character to where mm -hmm. you know they will yell out the fact that they're gay but there's nothing but there's nothing else about them you don't ever see you know, <laughs> the family guy joke about oh, this is this is primetime television all we do is pucker kiss and run or something like that it was a really funny funny yeah. joke about gay representation on television um, where they they just squeeze all the flavor out of it, and it's just like, look, it's like there there is the putting out there, gay people are just like you and me, and then there's gay people are just like you and me, and in fact, they're not even gay anymore. They you know they're, they're just they're so normal. Please watch our show. Which 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 to me anyway, and again, this is just my opinion. I will not mm. I will not be the Lorax. I will not speak for the, speak for the trees. Um. It always, it more often than not, feels to me like a particularly grown-worthy kind of respectability politics. Mm -hmm. um, like it's like it's an extension of the core of what the Mattachine society, the real life <laughs> one, was 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 kind was kind of built on. Um, I think it was I think it was Michael Hobbs on that episode of You're Wrong About that I mentioned last show that said, you know, their, their kind of outlook was similar to maybe if I bake, if I bake my abuser, this really nice home cooked, home cooked meal, he'll stop beating me. Okay. Um, so, I mean, if you're, if you're just, again, if you're talking about one of those, one of those settings where gay people can just be i mean that kind of that that kind of is the gay agenda right now we want to <laughs> we want to just be in peace we want to brunch in peace we want to fire island in peace <laughs> and just be left the fuck alone it's not a tall order unfortunately it's a tall order all right um, if that's all, then let's go ahead and move on to the critical review. Sean Comer, are you ready for the critical review? Bring it. Are you ready? No! 
I said, are you ready? No, God! No, God, please, no! 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 All right, uh, the critical review. Uh, the film has a 94% on Rotten Tomatoes and a 78% audience score. I'm curious to see how much of that is authentic and how much of it is we hate gay people, so we review bomb this. Um, critical consensus brought to life by a tremendously talented cast. The breezily entertaining Fire Island proves there are still fresh ways to update Austin. All right, let's go ahead and see what some of our friends in the review community thought about this movie. Um, Brian Lauer, I'm going to do like a, just a bunch of different ones here. I'm not going to just do all rotten or all fresh. Um, so Brian Lowry of CNN.com, top critic. It still feels like less than a full meal. Fire Island doesn't quite possess enough substance to sustain itself, which might have explained the appeal of Quibi's short form approach for this particular property. What do you think about that, Sean? Fairish, but in terms of substance, I mean, it's it's hard to rip on this movie for not being something that it never meant to be in the first place. Uh, Allison Wilmore of New York Magazine slash Vulture, top critic. Fire Island feels hemmed in by its source material, even when being loose and irreverent with it. I don't know if I agree with that. No, I don't think I do. Um, on the positive side of things, Mark uh, Dudgstick of Mark Reviews Movies. <laughs> you self-employed loser. I miss you, Robert. <laughs> um, <laughs> something about Fire Island feels a bit re revolutionary. That might be a bit of an exaggeration. Eh. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I don't. I, Johnny I don't, Yeah, I don't. I don't. Look, it was nice. And we've said a lot of we've said a lot of positive things about it. But if, if anyone's thinking like this is somehow going to change the landscape of film or, you know, the cultural treatment, uh, societal treatment of, of the homosexual culture, calm the fuck down. Like, it's a nice movie. It's, let's let's leave it at that. It's it's. We have our own sex comedy now. We have one that truly feels like ours. It's like it's it's our forgetting Sarah Marshall. Yeah, I, I don't it's know why the hell that's the first one that come that comes to mind. Sure, but um, jo Johnny Oleksinski. If this one doesn't make your eyes roll out of your head and down the street, I don't know what will. Johnny Oleksinski of New York Post, top critic. The cute romantic comedy Fire Island takes the story of pride and prejudice and really amps up the pride. It really amps up the pride, Sean. Do you get it? It's Pride Month, and it amps up the pride. Do you understand what I'm trying to tell you? Do you understand? Pride. Pride Month. Do you get it? Uh, he funny. He say funny thing. He said a thing. It was funny. Do you get it? Fucking straight. Yeah. <laughs> Moving on. <laughs> Richard Lawson of Vanity Fair, top critic. 
it's commendable that the film so frankly, so airily depicts the cult, the island's carnal indulgences. Maybe that all of it sits so discordantly alongside the mushier, gentler stuff is a worthy approximation of what it's like to be on Fire Island. Yeah, I'd actually agree with that. Yeah, that's fair. Um, I do like Elizabeth, I, do, I do like that it I do like that it finds time occasionally to uh, to take the piss out of hetero romantic comedies, though every so often too. Especially right, especially right in the throes of its denouement. <laughs> um, Elizabeth Vincentelli, Vincentelli, of the New York Times, top critic. It's impossible to resist a movie that uses legally blonde as a verb, in which two men adorably bond over Alice Munro's short stories. <laughs> I'll drink to that. Sure. All right, uh, that was the last one um, on the page that I found here. So let's uh, let's call it and move on to our next movie, which is Master. Now, I want to go into a little bit of how the sausage is made here. So there's a Wikipedia page dedicated to just LGBTQ films. One of the ones that are on there is Thor Love and Thunder. Thor Love and Thunder is not technically, you know, in, in the sense that, like, this is dealing with LGBTQ themes or issues there happens to be one gay at least one gay character in the movie so it's on the list so like this list is like an array of indirect and direct you know lgbtq film so when i was looking for something to do for this show like I, like fire island was the obvious one but like I, I gotta pick a second movie here and i'm going through the list and i'm going through the list and there was a couple that I wanted to do, but they didn't have release dates in time for this particular show, so we couldn't do them, obviously. This movie, Master, is on that list. On my life, I don't know why. I honestly, I like, thought, I want... To be honest, I thought maybe you included it because Pride Month also kind of weaves in with Juneteenth. And so okay. maybe you were kind of splitting the topical difference. Yes, I, that's exactly what I was doing. <laughs> this was this was considered an LGBT. I on, on my on my kid, I will bring up the, the the I will bring up the Wikipedia page. It's right. It's there. I checked it because it's, I, I I didn't know what this movie was when I saw it on the list. I was like, oh, it's on Amazon Prime. It'll be out when we were wanting to talk about this. It'll be the second one that we talk about. Perfect. And that's as little thought as I put into this. Like, Fire Island was the big one, and then it was like, I just need to find a second film. So I did, and I put it on there, and I watched it on Sunday, and like I said, on my kids, like, 45 minutes into it, I'm like, the fuck does this have to do with LGBTQ anything? I was, like, trying to find who, I was trying to find a character who was gay, and I couldn't find one. Like, like, did I miss something here? This movie's about as straight as my whiskey. (laughs) Yeah, like, if you want to talk... Somebody, someone compared this to like a Jordan Peele horror movie, and like, sure, you know, I would. It's mm-hmm. not as good, um, of no. any movie, but, but like, if you wanted to throw it in there with like Us or um, what's the other one that he did, like Don't Speak or Shut Up or uh, Get Out, Get Out, yeah, Get Out. Um, so if you wanted to compare it to like Us or Get Out, sure, it's in like that vein. But you know what? Those things are very distinctively African American movies. <laughs> like yeah. I like, don't understand. So we're gonna do this anyway because I've committed to this now. But fuck me running. I don't know why this is on that list. 
Um, all right. So Master is a 2022 American psychological horror thriller written and directed by Mariama Diallo in her directorial debut. The film stars Regina Hall, Zoe Renee, Amber Gray. Master had its world premiere at the Sundance Film Festival on January 21st of 2022 and then was released on Prime Video March 18th of 2022. Um, so here's the deal. Gail Bishop becomes the newly appointed and first black master of Ancaster, an elite university in New England. The students at the school believe it is cursed by the ghost of Margaret Millet, who was accused of witchcraft and hanged nearby. Jasmine Moore moves in as a freshman and is assigned to room 302, along with her white roommate, Amelia. Their room was once occupied in 1965 by Louisa Weeks, Ancaster's first black undergraduate who committed suicide by hanging in her dorm. Jasmine initially makes friends with Amelia's rich white friends, although they ask her to clean up spilled drinks and don't pay her back for the pizza she orders like you do. At a party, Amelia's crush kisses Jasmine and Amelia sees them. Amelia whispers to Jasmine that she hates her despite the roommates telling Gail everything is fine between them. Gail's new residence develops a maggot infestation. Jasmine starts having nightmares and begins to believe that her English professor, Liv Beckman, is purposely giving her bad grades. She files a dispute which impacts Liv's application for tenure. Jasmine is attacked by a presence that plants a noose on her door, burns a cross, and causes her to fall out of a window. Amelia eventually drops out. Jasmine tells Gail about her presence, which Gail believes is a racist student. Jasmine is found a few days later dead in her door, dorm room hanged. Esther Bickett, Liv's mother, informs Gail that Liv was born white, but turned black and changed her birth name after she was possessed by the devil. Liv denies these claims and tells Gail that she was actually the daughter of a black man. Gail criticizes the all-white faculty after realizing that she has not been the school's master, but it's made. Gail notices that history has repeated itself with no changes to Ancaster's diversity, and she resigns from her position. You know, I was thinking about X while I was watching this. Um, not because I'm preoccupied with porn. That's not the issue here. <laughs> but um, more because it took a good 45 minutes of X before we got to our first kill. <laughs> That there was a lot of meditating on the nature of pornography mm -hmm. and feminism and set in and you know table setting getting you know getting you used to the characters the setting introducing you to the elder folk um and all of that you know, like i said x takes a long time to get going but we praise that movie because of it and because of its meditation on the nature of sex pornography and feminism this one has a similar thing going on where it's a good 45 minutes in before anything related to horror or interesting happens in the movie. Mm. It, it's it is very much a meditation on modern subtextual racism. You know, um, mm. the sort of like tacit acceptance of black people in the culture, but the back of the mind, we wish you people were back in your back in your place. You know, back you know back. Mm. <laughs> Back to being second-class citizens, that kind of a thing. Um, not a lick of horror happens for that first hour. Not even a little bit. No, no. And I, I was, and I, I just kind of wanted to start the discussion there. Like, <laughs> Candyman mm. dealt with uh, racism, classism but also killed people relatively early on in the movie to where it was interesting. Both versions yeah. of Candyman. So I'm talking that yeah. I was thinking of the new one, but even the one that we reviewed, like Candyman does this so much better 
X does this so much better of meditating on a subject matter and then getting around to killing people. Look, nice, nice first swing at bat, but uh, this movie, this movie didn't work for me, dog. No, uh, frankly, it really bored me. Yeah, uh, I've I, I've had I've had Us and Get Out on my list of movies I've been meaning to watch for just an age now. Uh, mm-hmm. I think about a month ago, I I kind of meant to kind of make a double feature of either those two and maybe those two and uh, one of the movie or one of those two and one of the movies from, no, I think it was X and Get Out that I had always meant to kind of, for some mm-hmm. reason, make a double feature out of and just never got around to it. Um, but this just, it never, it never quite gets out of second gear um it's uh, it's obviously you know a a black meditation on the frustrations of kind of how far black people have both come and how far they and how far they're still being held back yeah it's Um, it's it's definitely a a modern meditation on navigating white society yeah, so if we're if we're drawing comparisons, I kind of I kind of liken it a little bit more to Candyman that yeah. way, in that I can't really say anything about what's being said because th- this is a black this is a black story being told by being told by black creators, as opposed to how that's what the most recent Candyman direct sequel was, whereas the first was a, it was very much a black story of gentrific of gentrification yeah, being told really more competently by white people than anyone would have probably expected. Sure. Um, but this, on the other hand, in terms of how engaging the story is and in terms of how enjoyable this movie is to watch even you know as enjoyable as as any movie with very real very real and close to the bone themes like this is going to get it just it's not even a slow burn it's barely a slow smolder yeah um the the scares such as they are uh, never really stray all that far from your, your kind of typical ghost story conventions. Yeah. They're, they're, they're they're predictable. They're predictable and unoriginal. Unlike how, you know, from, from the clips and some of the, and some of the, and some of the reviews I've seen, it sounds like the ones in get out really kind of get pretty, original and pointed and even downright clever yeah um in in terms of in terms of what they what they say visually this though it feels more like school ties sometimes sometimes than a good than a good ghost story which isn't necessarily bad but then again there's also nothing that's ever particularly engaging about 
any of the performances, be the be it the black leads or the surrounding white characters. You're okay. even forced to say even even the racists aren't all that aren't all that interesting. Well, there's an interesting story there, and it reminds me of um, uh, I can't remember who she is in the world, but she was. I want to say that she was claiming to be like Native American, and it turns out she's Rachel. Not. Ah, you're, you're thinking of Rachel Dolezal, the white woman yeah. who claimed to be black and ascended to the to a leadership position in the NAACP. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yes. her. I was, you know, like, so if you're sort of taking a riff on that thing, you know, um, where where white people yeah. don a a black uh, uh, black identity um for whatever their reasons are and an exploration of that that's actually an interesting movie i don't know if i would do it as a horror movie but it, it's well, a, it's, but that's... it's an interesting subject matter that i would at least i would at least give this a world because it's something to talk about you know why someone would do that the benefits the you know the problems with it etc it, it i see but they but threw that's it thing, a, they, hang on they threw it in as a subplot to this one which is a ghost story about yeah. uh, you know it, it's it's a, it's a haunted house story essentially where the big payoff is the, uh, the the cyclical hanging of a student. Like the, the part of this movie is this college student being driven mad, mad, I tell you, and and it ending with her being hung. That's the movie. Why we had then this the subplot of the of the professor donning this black uh, this black identity. And that's the finality of it is the confrontation. And then the teach and then the one, the master, you know, Regina King going, you know what? Fuck this place and leaving. Like, I no, you know, what? It's but, like two but, different but movies smashed together. You know, if you're going to, if you're going to make a character, a Rachel Dolezal analog, yeah. at least go in on it. Yes. Um, they they didn't they couldn't even commit to that. In the end, they left it entirely ambiguous as to whether Liv was lying when confronted mm -hmm. or whether her mother was actually delusional. There's no right. really going all in on anything no, here. And I don't know how it relates to the central narrative of the ghost of this former student is haunting this university and has decided to target this one young lady. Like I I have no idea how these plot how these plots interact with each other other than they're in the same movie. This was a weird one. And like I, I can forgive, you know, like this was the argument that I got into with Alexis with Eternals. I'm okay with slow burns. I'm okay with boring you know if you're telling me a story that's interesting you know or meditating on something or whatever um this is an example of boring in that not a whole lot happens in this movie and it's not talking about things in a deep enough way to keep me invested despite that it's sort of mm -hmm. I, I talked about this with another movie recently it's sort of the the dummy approach to things oh we're talking <laughs> Stonewall, once again. Um, this movie just changed my life. We, no, we, we talked about like Roland Emmerich's like deep philosophical take on Stonewall is cops shouldn't beat people up. Thanks, Roland. <laughs> like what what brilliant insight you have, Roland. You know, like 
like the insight this movie is sharing with its audience is gosh sometimes it's hard to be a black person in a white society no no fucking shit you got any more for me or it's like yeah, this is walking into a room air, air water is certainly wet and being very proud of yourself for that and walking out of the room again like it i'm all for saying something with film obviously but the fact that you just said something in a very direct way shouldn't be the end of it. Like you, you have to go a little bit deeper. You have to say a little bit more. You have to talk about, you know, why is it difficult to still navigate for well-to-do educated middle to upper middle-class black folks? Why is life still difficult for black people? You get a little bit of that, but not enough to, not enough to really make this a worthwhile watch. And that's something that I really have to hand to Candyman 2021. There were certainly mm-hmm. things about it that 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 kind of disappointed me or that I that I didn't enjoy as much as I thought I would. But one thing I cannot fault it for is it absolutely says what it means. Yeah. It may be on the, it may be on the nose, but it gets it out there and it doesn't mince words yeah um this feels this feels less like a direct statement and at times almost more like vague booking or subtweeting <laughs> what what you're trying to stay, say instead yeah. of just being right out with it yeah <laughs> golly black people have it hard thanks <laughs> i kind of need a little more from you um again jason and i when we did the black history month shows like we talked about we did a whole thing with spike lee and you know look malcolm x is all heft that's almost too easy to talk about in this particular instance but like do the right thing i think is a really classic example of spike lee had some opinions he really dug in deep on the relationship between Mm -hmm. blacks and whites and you know in these uh isolated communities like that part of brooklyn you know what it means mm-hmm. to be a white person and own a business in a in an all black enclave. What it's like to be a modern black person now. You know, it, it, Spike Lee really dug in with "Do the Right Thing." And while it's look, it's, I get it. It's not everyone's favorite movie. There's there's Jason and I certainly had our issues with it. Um, not to mention, you know, not not the least of which was G, Giancarlo Esposito's character of bugging out. <laughs> it's like like Spike Lee's mouthpiece. It's like, could you, I'm gonna need you to tone it down just a touch. Uh, um, but like my what I applaud what I applaud you the right thing for was its ability to really have a conversation about some important issues and have have a a pointed opinion about those things and have it come out in the film. Whereas mm-hmm. Master, I feel like is self-satisfied with just the acknowledgement but doesn't do anything more with it and then sort of weighs the movie down with some of this other stuff that doesn't really connect in a very cohesive way um not to mention the fact that if your story you're telling is we're gonna haunt this girl to the brink of insanity and she's gonna hang herself i'm again i'm gonna need more than what you gave me in this movie the scares in this are not particularly scary like the psychological element to it seems very uh subdued and sometimes subdued is a really great thing in film 
Other times, subdued is missed opportunity. This is a giant missed opportunity because I think, I think there's the bones of a really great movie here with Master. I really do. I think, I think this was a good first draft. Unfortunately, they shot the first draft and put it on Amazon Prime. It's it's funny you mentioned the words lost opportunity because it made mm-hmm. me think of one very specific part where. I kind of thought, oh, okay, this feels like maybe there's something there that they're going to expound upon. Yeah. And that is when Liv kind of calls Jasmine on the carpet for writing a very run-of-the-mill interpretation of the racial themes in The Scarlet Letter. Mm -hmm. And Jasmine pretty much comes back with, but there's no racism in The Scarlet Letter. And Liv comes back with some kind of variation on just because you can't see it plainly doesn't mean it isn't there. And then later, Jasmine goes to Gail to Father Glade. I forget which one it is. It might have been in the same scene. It might have been when she goes to talk to Gail. But she's running down all of this about how and she she stopped just short of saying you know i wasn't admitted just because i'm black talking about how i'm from the suburbs i was valedictorian of my class in spokane washington i thought ah okay you have a chance to maybe maybe you're going to develop a kind of plot where this black kid from the suburb is shown the horrors of racism that's been all around her all her life and that she's been carefully bubbled off and sequestered from. And she's first going to be in denial of it and kind of working kind of sort of in service of this insidious institutionalized Mm -hmm. racism, but she's eventually going to come around and be kind of maybe racked with guilt or horrified by everything that she's denied happens to her fellow black Americans. And that just never happens. There's, there's, there's very little development outside of Jasmine just being a shy college student. They even only go kind of halfway at the frat party scene where somebody switches on some pretty hardcore hip hop and it switches to a point of view and it's it's an upshot at all of these imposing, towering, feral white people screaming N-bombs at the top of their at the top of their lungs. And it feels like maybe they're trying to kind of spark some development with that moment. And again, it never goes anywhere. There, yeah. There's no sense of development until she gets to the part where she just kind of becomes resigned to, you know, it's everywhere and it's never, and it's never going, and it's never going to stop. But you just kind of skip a whole lot by going from A to C like that without kind of properly displaying the impact that some of these moments have in the, in the case of the frat party, or maybe sprinkling in some more moments of realization, like with the, how dare you? I was the valedictorian in my class 
in my class at Miracle Whip Suburban High School <laughs> or, or, or what the fuck ever. Um, and I, just the same, it doesn't feel like Gale ever really gets developed um, right up until the very closing moments. Um, as you as you pointed out, uh, an, an analogous storyline with Liv is kind of hinted at, but then it just never goes anywhere. And even the resolution of it is entirely fucking ambiguous. Just... Oh, it's frustrating because, as you said, the, the bones of a possibly good movie here. But yeah. ultimately, it feels like there's so much meat left on those left on those bones that were carved off and served up. It almost feels afraid to commit to anything. It, yes. it, it's a, it's a, it feels uh, afraid to commit to the psychological horror element to it. It's afraid to commit to the commentary on uh racism it's afraid to commit to the commentary on whatever you want to call the live thing you know take taking on a black persona um it's like and this is the last thing i want to say but i but much like with fire island i kind of just want to say it and i want to get your reaction to it you and i uh whether it was through long road to ruin or triple feature or on trial uh, or just just through the course of our friendship, just bullshitting, talking films, mm -hmm. uh, off podcast. We've talked a lot about independent film. Actually, yeah, I, I know exactly how I want to frame this. Donnie Darko. You and I had a long okay, discussion okay. about how you and I had a long discussion. I'm gonna I'm gonna connect these. And it's gonna be brilliant. Um, no, no, I'm, I'm fascinated. I'm fascinated. I'm le I'm leaning in. Like, okay, tell me more. All right, you and I had a conversation about Donnie Darko about how. Not to, not not to diminish anyone's art, but some sometimes you put something out there, and you you have a perspective, you have a voice, but nobody else gets what the fuck you're talking about, you know. And the reverse of that is everyone, you know, all of the snooty film people, snooty film person, going, oh my god, I watched this, I snooty film person watched said snooty film and came away with snooty opinions, and the snooty opinion that you and I sort of lamented was how great Donnie mm. Darko is. Like you're not a film person unless you've watched and you can appreciate the the, the splendor and wonder and amazingness that is Donnie Darko. And you and I took mm -hmm. the piss out of that movie. It was glorious. You and I rolled up our sleeves, flexed our jock muscles, and shut the Donnie Darko into a locker and beat its ass. <laughs> and called it all kinds of names. It was glorious. It was one of my favorite shows. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it was a tacit acknowledgement of just because you're indie doesn't mean you're good. Um, no, no, you know, and and you know, it's like, it's like, I can't remember what the exact example I'm example I'm thinking of, but you know, it was like a like a like a chicken boo thing from from Animaniacs. It's just like it's wonderful, it's amazing, it's a giant chicken. Um, you know, <laughs> like, can we can we not get caught up in the bullshit and just call things what they are? I feel mm -hmm. like, like in the in the production of this movie, there was this almost like acknowledgement by the director and the screenwriter. I wonder if they're the same person. 
Um, yeah, it's written and directed by Mariama Diallo. Duh. Um, I'm wondering if she was like, well, I'm going for an artsy indie affect here. I want I want to present this movie as artistic because it deals with very serious themes and was very much, this is what I want to get your reaction to, very much swept up in the, what are some common tropes of indie film? So like take, for example, um, Alexis, Jeff Sloboda of the MCU's Bleeding Edge and I did a comic strip for uh, Ghost World. Alexa, stop. <laughs> Every single Alexa in my fucking house is going off right now. <sighs> Anywho, um, <laughs> when Miss Haina of Honeysuckle Rose Creations and Jeff Sloboda of MCU's Bleeding Edge and I did our comic strip for Ghost World, the you know Ghost World was the tropiest of tropey indie flicks. I mean, it's it's fine and everything. Yeah. It was a fair enough adaptation yeah. of the source material, but it's yet another example of. Did you think that indie just means slow and boring and uninteresting and nothing happens in your movie? Because I feel like that's what people think indie films are supposed to be. Like, you know, another a good example, this is like The Lobster. Like, it was like the indie hit of the year, the year that it came out. Everyone just jerked off to The Lobster, many, many cases, quite literally. And Wes I Anderson, remember, that's who's coming to mind. I, yeah, Wes Anderson. Wes another, Anderson. Oh my God! Have yeah. you seen the French Dispatch? I, I, no. I was talking to Ron. Ronnie and I reviewed that, and both of us were sort of like, "Ever just want to punch your television?" That's a Wes Anderson movie for me. Like anything after the Life Aquatic, <laughs> just fucking stop already. Like, I, I as an indie film director, I just want to film this block of cheese for an hour and a half, and it's my meditation on World War II. Just uh, stop so never, already. I just make I never movie. saw the life. Of me. I never saw the Life Aquatic. Uh, the last one by him that oh. I think I saw was the Royal Tenenbaums. You know, I've never actually seen. I've never seen the Royal Tenenbaums, and I've never seen the other one that everyone loves. The Rushmore, first, the first movie I ever saw. Yeah, Rushmore, the first Wes Anderson yeah. movie I ever saw was the Life Aquatic. And I remember, like my friends, just round this discussion back out to mm. a general sort of filleting of indie indie aesthetic that we shouldn't be doing as as film people mm -hmm. i remember everyone's like oh my god wes anderson is such a genius oh my god i love that movie oh my god he it's another mm -hmm. home run another rushmore another royal tenenbaums and i'm looking at everyone going did we all watch the same fucking movie <laughs> he has a very particular style and yeah. i so anyway i understand the, i understand the appeal of it mm. but yeah, I also I also think his supposed genius as a filmmaker gets direly, direly. You should you should not want to watch a movie. You should not want to love a movie so desperately so as to stand out from the people who like the Marvel and Star Wars stuff that you accept something that is still just crap. That is my big well, issue with the, with the indie side of filmmaking. There's a lot of great art there, and I'll talk about it and appreciate it all day long. But it's not all good, and the and the, the consensus seems to be, but it is all good because it's not Marvel and DC and Star Wars. Well, I mean, you mentioned you mentioned Spike Lee. Yeah. The thing about the thing about Spike is that yes, in any given in any given movie from do the right thing and Malcolm X all the way up to the 25th hour is mm. Spike is always going to have a lot to say, but the thing is he always says it, says it in a way 
that's engaging. Yes, engaging that is exactly what I was thinking of. That you could go back and watch again. Right. I mean, someone could come up to me right now and say, you know what? I'm really in a mood to watch the 20 to watch the 25th hour. 25th hour is one of my favorite movies. Oh yeah. Ed Norton talking about having his teeth not I said Ed Norton talking about having his teeth knocked out so he can blow guys in prison better. I love that. I would fat Ukrainian fuck. Love that line. (laughs) Sorry, go ahead. I would I would I would sit down and rewatch and rewatch that in half a heartbeat. Yeah, sure. Um but yeah, I mean you have to bring something other than the to the table other than I'm not chained to a major studio or a major franchise. All right. <clears throat> Unless you've got anything else, let's let's do a quick no, uh, critical survey. I and, think we uh, let it dry. I, I believe you are correct. All right. For the second time tonight, here's a shot of Triple H's. Here's a tasteful shot of Triple H's crotch. Are you ready? No. I said. All right, the critical consensus uh, has it fresh at 75%, but the audience hated it, as you can, I'm sure, imagine. <laughs> 37% audience score. Uh, it can be didactic rather than truly suspenseful, but Master is an impressively well-crafted horror outing with a lot on its mind. Oh, people just wanted to like this so they're not racist. <laughs> You're bullshit, and yeah. I see you. I see you, critical community. You can't hide from me. You bullshit artist, you. Um. All right, so uh, let's find a good one here. Let's see. Okay, uh, Azine Ukoha of the Muse, Jezebel. Diallo's messaging ultimately doesn't feel as fresh and boundary breaking as it could, which unfortunately dilutes the full effect. The buildup is intense and constant. No. But Master doesn't deliver that much needed gut punch at the end. Well, it does. The Hanging Girl should have been the end of the movie. Instead, we did another hour and a half, it felt like, on Rachel Dozel. Mm-hmm. You want to weigh in or move on to the next one? Oh, uh, one out of three points on that one wasn't bad. It, you know, <laughs> had had me at the start, but... Mm-hmm. Uh, Nicholas Delgadio of Knotfest. A horror film with no gore, but a whole lot of bite. Rawr, rawr. No. No. <laughs> no, no. There was no bite here. Wow. Uh, let's go back now. Hang on. It says like 150 reviews, and then I go to the next page, more, and there's nothing it's, left. It's more, it's more like the horror equivalent to Nana gumming you with her denture, gumming you after taking <laughs> in her dentures. All right, here's one of our favorites: Matt Conway of Battle Royale with Cheese, with Cheese, Sean Comer of the Screaming Boy Podcast. You must have your Battle Royale with Cheese of the Screaming Boy Podcast. <laughs> yes, yeah, so it's a running gag here. Uh, Diallo excels at infusing horror trademarks to enrich in her timely themes. I believe we disagreed with that point. Yeah, explain how. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, let's see here. What are you going to be exchanged for goods and services? Uh, Ty Burr of Ty Burr's 
watch list, you self-employed loser. Miss you, Robert Winfrey. <laughs> Top critic. What master does exceedingly well and is worth a look for this alone is dramatized with a kind of bleak satirical scorn, the slights and assumptions in diminution, diminution, diminution that come with being a person of color in a complacent white milieu. Again, we talked all about that. Like, like I, I think this does a fair, a fairly decent job of showing the, um, you know, death by a thousand cuts, the uh, uh, a thousand indignities that you suffer as a black person in white society. But like, okay, focus a little bit more on that. Then do do more with that. Like, it's just kind of kind of gets you there and then it's like you know girl jerks you off and right as you're about to come one kind of walks out of the room and says all right i'll see you tomorrow like wait, no, we're not gonna finish the job here we're not gonna what what happened <laughs> <laughs> your, your thoughts sir wow on tonight's podcast bingo card i did not have ruined orgasm fetish joke <laughs> You don't hang Fucked out with up me my bingo. <laughs> you, don't, you don't hang out with me enough. I use that one a lot. Actually, the one I no. typically the one I typically use a lot is you know you have the best sex of your life, and right as you're you're about to come, the girl says, "Ill get off me." But that's not what happened here. This was absolutely a this was absolutely an aborted hand job. You're welcome, film community. I'm Mark Radledge at Mark oh. Radledge on Twitter. I'm just gonna move on. Um. Because I, I want to talk about, <laughs> speaking of shoving guys in lockers, Kevin Carr, a fat guy at the movies. Sean, this guy is the bane of my existence. You don't do Damn You Hollywood meet really? with me a lot. So you don't know. You don't know for weeks and months, really, on end, how much I have bullied this fella. I fucking hate him. Okay. I, just, I hate Kevin Carr, a fat guy at the movies. You're it starting to make me want to be on this show a little bit more. This is actually kind of fun. <laughs> I, I, I just... He's on Rotten Tomatoes, and here I am, not on Rotten Tomatoes. This guy, I'm going to read this to you, and you're going to understand just a little bit of why every time I read Kevin Carr's stuff, I want to throw him down a flight of stairs. Um, here we go. Overly heavy-handed and over the top, it beats you over the head. What the fuck, dude? <laughs> you're so dumb. You are. What, with, a, what, with a wiffle bat? Rick, Kevin Carr is rock fucking stupid. And his takes on movies is literally, I can see Russia from my house. Every single time he does not fail me. How do you get there? How do you reach those specific conclusions about this movie? Yeah, beat you over the head. With a feather? I, what the fuck? <laughs> Yeah, well, like hour like and a, a half, you and I are like, like the past hour and a half, you guys are like the movie's a little too subtle. Kevin Carr, I was beaten. Oh, I can't take it anymore. <laughs> so much racism. Oh! What the hell, man? I if I start publishing on Fat Guy at the movies, can I be on Rotten Tomatoes? Is that what has to happen here? Or have to just give up my identity altogether? <laughs> Jesus Christ. Fuck me. It's not going to be the cancer or the or, or, or the high blood pressure that kills me. It's going to be fat guy at the movies. I'm telling you right now. I'm going to be like, I'm going to read. I'm going to like next week, you're going to Jurassic World Dominion. 
there were dinosaurs in the movie and they were loud and I'm just going to stroke out and die right there on the podcast. Robert, Win- you know, and Robert Winfrey's just going to take off his clothes and walk deliberately into the woods. <laughs> I would, I would love to hear his opinion about something that isn't so patently forgettable. <laughs> Jurassic world. It's a little too subtle. What? Um, <laughs> That guy at the movies, everybody. You're you're my my meet my weekly conniption. Um, my my thoughts on my thoughts on Jurassic World Dominion. You know, when I came into this movie about genetically altered dinosaurs taking over the earth, I didn't anticipate a quiet missive meditating on the ramifications of the French Revolution. <laughs> yeah. First of all, I don't believe Kevin Carr even on a good day could string all those words together. <laughs> Hey, look, you give someone the right word of a day, word of the day calendar. <laughs> Maybe you just put the words in a hat and you can like, you know, just lay them out. Um, all right. Two <laughs> more of these and I'm going to call it a night here. Uh, James sure. Vernier of Boston Herald. That vaunted periodical, Sean, the Boston Herald. <sighs> Get out goes to college and master. They paid that motherfucker to write that sentence. I want you to know this. You dumb motherfucker. That's what I'm trying to tell you. I, I wrote yeah. better reviews than that when I was in high school. <laughs> Lisa Kennedy of the New York Times, top critic. Master has its share of jump scares as well as the gaslighting feints of a thriller. All right. I don't remember that many jump scares in this, by the way. I'm struggling to remember three. Yeah. Uh, all right. Joshua Mackey of Geeks of Color. Between the performances by Hall and Renee, the atmospheric terror cultivated by sound and imagery and a few surprises within the film that are sure to leave audiences' jaws on the floor. This film wins big. My jaw was definitely on the floor, but mostly because I was asleep and I was drooling. <laughs> um, I think my jaw was being crammed with pretzels. <laughs> and, occasionally, and occasionally opening to sip an energy drink. Uh, Arami Tanubu of Essence, top critic. The lessons in Master are haunting and painful, but one thing remains apparent. There is no glory in being a token. History has proven that time and time again. This is a this is a frustrated er- editorialist being made to write movie reviews. That was, this is absolutely a person that like may or may not have actually watched the movie, but definitely had this thing written about it already. If you want to see, if you want to see any of that in a good black horror movie. First off, for a general overview, I would strongly recommend um, getting a Shutter subscription and streaming, uh, I believe it's called Cinema Noir, uh, which is utterly fucking superb. And then when you're done with that, maybe instead, I don't know, just go Marathon Candyman 2021, get out us and just for a laugh maybe throw in bones on the end this is gonna be the last one and i'm gonna need you to like you know 
Sean, I'm going to need you to un undo your pants just a bit, dig down inside, and whip out your old Sean from 2013. I need old Long Road to Ruin Sean on this. Just unzip those pants and pull out your Sean. Okay, that's gonna be and, tricky. That's gonna be tricky because this evoked so little strong response in me. But okay, I, can try. This, I just can't promise. I'm gonna, I'm gonna read this to you, and I and I need you to dig deep and and find. I'm having trouble connecting to the internet. I'm sure you are. Take a look at the health. Alexa, stop! Alexa stop! <laughs> All right, yeah, I, need, I need you to go. Does Toby have Final Cut Pro on this? Okay, you ready? <laughs> I'll try. No promises, but I'll try. Dave Calhoun, timeout, top critic. Red Star, he gets paid okay. for this shit. Okay? Professional critic, baby. Okay. This is a smart, meaningful first film with nods all over the place to classics like The Shining and Rosemary's Baby. As well as more recent obvious touch points like Get Out, it's not all subtle, but neither is prejudice. Get him, Winfrey. Sticking feathers. <laughs> oh, oh, wait, I can, I, can, I can see your tumor growing. This is great. I'll shut up now. Sticking feathers up one's butt does not make them a chicken. Long, spooky hallway shots. And tepid room temperature dream sequences do not make you the shining. How dare you think this movie stands where Stanley Kubrick stood? Stanley Kubrick, after a bad Mexican lunch, shat <laughs> bigger than the atmospheric horror in this movie. I said before that it never got out of second gear. I may have been being generous. I'm not completely sure that it ever finds its way out of neutral. It has some things to say, but it settles for mumbling them. It settles for being Mr. Mackey muttering under its breath, under his breath, about how what people are bad, okay? Don't, don't don't be wide, okay? Don't be racist, okay? I'm gonna need you to stop being that's, white for a second. Thanks. Yeah, that's about the fucking vibe here. There is no bite to anything that it has to say. On a in its best moments, it's about maybe generously a third as intelligent and creative as what I understand the best moments of Get Out were. Yeah. Bones made its commentary on racism and gentrification and respectability politics more effective and interesting than this movie. And that was the one where ghost pimp Snoop Dogg carried around the severed head of Ricky Harris just so he could carry that sucker's soul. <laughs> I could watch Blackula and get more. 
and get. I more have watched Blackula and gotten more out of it. I love Blackula. Blackula rocks. High five, Blackula rocks. Absolutely. There we go. Yeah, and Blackula was made goddamn some fifty years ago. You would think in that you would think in that time you haven't come up with more to say than just institutionalized racism. Basically, all you made was half-ass black school ties. Yeah. All right, folks. Now you know why we do that bit because some of these like, look, there's there's Kevin Carr, fat guy at the movies, who I have to you know like I don't feel good about myself unless I beat on him at least once a week. But some of these people like. Come on, man! Like, the, like people, if you've ever watched this, if you've never watched the show before, like, why do they read the Rotten Tomato stuff? Because some of these professional reviewers are such bullshit. I yeah, they have to be called out. It's it's kind of like the conversation we were having about independent film. Like, stop! You know, it, it it's it's an emperor. The emperor has no clothes. Thing, you sometimes just have to look at a thing and go, no, 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 this is bad. Stop saying it's good because you want to be invited to sexy parties or because you want to be seen as an intellectual. Call bullshit bullshit. Um, so for film, for criticism, it all I can't deal. You know, I gotta I gotta point that and go, no, no, that's bullshit. And so mm-hmm. um, but this is not bullshit, Sean. This is the Rattlegion right here is the Rattlegion Broadcasting Network. All of this. <laughs> all right. Um, speaking of all of this. That wraps up our show here on a special edition of DMU Hollywood. Tomorrow is DMU Hollywood proper. Proper. Uh, It'll be myself, David Wright, Robert Winfrey, and the prodigal son, Jason Teasley. We will be reviewing Top Gun Maverick, which I saw for a second time today. You know, I, I don't know if you know this or not, but being awake for the entire movie really helps your enjoyment of it. So, um, I... <laughs> I had, a, I had a hard time staying awake Friday night. I like, missed critical out parts of the movie. And I was like, and so I'm watching it today and I'm watching it with my son. And I'm like, this movie's amazing. It helps if I know what's going on. So yeah, Top Gun Maverick <laughs> is quite good. And we'll, we'll gush about it tomorrow. Uh, or three of us will gush about it. And Robert Winfrey will find something to complain about. Um, speaking of finding <laughs> things to complain about, uh, we are continuing with our great works of David Simon on Wednesday. The final season of Homicide, Life on the Street, and because the great love of my life, my primary, my non-nesting partner, but I wish we I wish we nested together, uh, the love of my life, Jesse Starcher, I'm going to watch Homicide, the movie, for him. For him, Sean. These are the things that I do. For Holy love. shit, I forgot there was a movie. There is a Homicide, the movie, goddammit, pal. Holy shit. So, yes, sir, Bob. So we're going to watch, we're going to watch, and review the final season of Homicide Life on the Street, and then uh, we'll also talk about Homicide the movie, and that concludes our look at the Homicide series that David Simon was involved with. Next up, The Corner will be after that, and that'll be in July. You ever see The Corner? Uh, I have not, but if it's by David Simon, I'm instantly intrigued. Yes, uh, The Corner is kind of like the prequel to The Wire, uh, focusing mostly on a generational drug-addled family. Uh, so that's Thursday. So sorry, that's Wednesday. Thursday, there is no show. I will be recording something, but it will not be live. It'll be something for Jesse that'll be air later in the month. Um, we have a re-airing of myself and Robert reviewing uh, X-Men Apocalypse that'll air Friday morning. 
And and then uh, next week we kick off our look at all things Pixar with Lightyear coming up. Uh, so we'll have our review of The Good Dinosaur from a few years ago. Our Long Road to Ruin. Hey, do you remember our long, speaking of which, do you remember our Long Road to Ruin that we did on uh, Toy Story? I do. That's what made a lot, that's what got a lot of our fans. Like, you and I were just sort of toiling mm -hmm. about talking about Spider-Man and Rocky, but it was the Toy Story yeah. trilogy that had, like, Jason and Andrew and all of our friends. Mm -hmm. Like, like that was dope, guys. That's that's the reason to continue to listen to you. Because probably is, what Aww. I'm saying is, like, all of our friends that we have now, the Toy Story show is what made them fans, I think. That's what I've been mm -hmm. told. So be cool to go back and listen to that again. Aww. That's going to re-air. That's going to re-air Tuesday the 13th. Yeah. Uh, that'll re-air th Thursday the 13th. So that's what's coming up here on the Rattle and Broadcasting Network. Please like and subscribe. If you tuned into the show on YouTube or Twitch or one of our Facebook pages, please make sure you're following, you're subscribing so that you get the alerts when we go live or in the cases where we're not live that we post a new show. Um, it's really appreciative. If you And if you did watch live tonight, I just want to you know, know we really appreciate you live audience people. Uh, feel free to interact with us during the show. Some of you were messaging me privately Please. and I had to like no sell it. Um, but but uh, <laughs> we uh, no, we definitely appreciate all the all the interaction that we get. And we hope uh, we hope you enjoyed mm -hmm. our long rambling conversation about these two movies. And so with that said, Sean's going to tell you where he twitches and shouts. OK, so here's the deal. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Comer Codex. Uh, my topics of discussion are usually just all over the bloody place. Um, now, I'm doing something a little bit different with how I'm approaching streaming. I, A streamer that I rather enjoy and follow on Twitter uh, pointed out that she's having so much trouble coming up with just a set schedule that she's decided, screw it. I'm just going to stream when I feel like it. When I play, I'm just going to hit the button and just go online and just let the chips fall where they may. I like that idea. That's what I'm going to start going to start doing. So my advice, go to twitch.tv slash Codex. I am a variety of streamer. I play a lot of different games, lots of single player stuff lately. Um, I would say my next stream, probably within the next couple, next couple of days is going to be probably the messenger and indie love letter to Ninja Gaiden and other classic eight and 16 bit side scrollers, Batman Arkham Asylum. I shouldn't need to introduce that one to you. And since it's pride month, since it's pride month, hi everybody. Say hi to my step kid. Say hi Mars. Hi. hi. <laughs> Um, and since it's Pride Month, there's also the off chance that I am going to be throwing in Dream Daddy, um, the gay dating simulator uh, produced by the Game Grumps. Um, so, but the best way to know when I'm going to be streaming is to go follow me on follow me on Twitch and just turn notifications on. And that way, it'll take the guesswork out. You will be told exactly when I go live, usually in the afternoons or evenings. But whenever, I would love to have you stop by. And um, I have a little bit of announcement about a future podcasting project. Uh, the first of two that I'm working on, but this is the only one that's actually kind of got a direction to it. 
uh, starting probably in July. I'm working on scripting the first episodes right now. I am working on developing a solo 30-minute, more podcast-style, as in non-video to start with, show that I'm calling The 530 Train. And here's the deal. Basically, I am going to take something, album, movie, TV show, video game, comic, what have you, that I enjoy. And I am going to give you five detailed reasons why I think you might get every bit as much enjoyment out of it as I do. And I'm going to do it in 30 minutes or less. It's going to be just a bite-sized positive good vibes recommendation style deep dive podcast that you can listen to in about the time that most people spend on a treadmill or an elliptical or picking the kids up from school what have you it's something that's a little bit different from what i've done before it's short form it's solo and it's going to be premiering sometime in july i really hope that you will take the time to check it out all right, folks, <clears throat> thank you for tuning in to DMU, the special edition, this Pride edition of DMU Hollywood. We'll be back for DMU Hollywood proper tomorrow. Special start time of 10 o'clock because I'm busy until 9 o'clock. Until then, be well, be safe, and behave. <laughs>